Hello and welcome to the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, recorded as live from underneath a blanket in my front room. It's the podcast that has learned to love again, thanks to the reassuringly low expectations of the Nottingham Forest Board. They say that if you fall off a horse, you should get straight back on again. And while that may have led to a number of concussion-related fatalities, well, I think we're going to be fine here. And besides, it was a good opportunity to try out all of the many hints and tips and tear-stained counselling sessions that we've hosted on this feed over the last three months. But you know what? It's worked. I started a new game. I started unemployed. I waited patiently to see which jobs would come up. And when Chris Hewton was put out of his misery in November 2020, I hurled my hat into the ring. I took over at Nottingham Forest, then in 22nd place. Now, at the risk of offending Matt Davis-Adams and Nick Miller and all of the other many, many Nottingham Forest supporters at The Athletic, that is not a normal football club. That is a clown car lurching along on square wheels, belching out black smoke and heading straight for the edge of the cliff. If you don't believe me, try a game as Nottingham Forest out for yourself. They have got more players than you can possibly register. There's a ludicrous spread of salaries. They're wildly inconsistent. They don't need a new manager. They need an extinction-level event. But as February turns into March, I've got them two points off the playoffs and into the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. It's really weird. It's like an out-of-body experience, because if you've ever read anything I've ever written about Football Manager, you'll know this generally doesn't happen. So what's changed? Well, this show. Joining me today is a voice you'll remember from our tactics episode. It's Sports Interactive's own CJ Ransom. Hi, Ian. Good to be back. It's really good to have you back because you and Nick Madden joined us earlier on in the series to talk about tactics at a basic level. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, it's worked. Um, I feel alive again. It's it's fun again. Nottingham Forest are are winning. And so today we're going to we're going to take it all a little bit further and start thinking a bit deeper about tactics. Um, But before we get into that. How rude of me. I haven't asked how you're getting on. How, how's, how's your current football manager game going? It's, it's going well so far. I managed to start a save over the festive period. Um, I'm Forest Green at the moment. I'm in League Two. I'm sixth. I'm in the playoff areas. So um, I'm hoping for my first promotion of this year. Lower league football team, what tactics have you gone with? Have you gone cynical on Route 1 or are you trying to, trying to build something? It's, it's a bit of a balance of both. It's a five at the back, but we play out the back. Well, I tell them to play at the back, but they like to go long down the channels. But it works for us, so I don't complain. Nice, nice. Now, I think for me, there are three things that have that have changed that have taken me from bumming out at Sunderland in under one season to actually looking horribly like getting promoted. Um and now they've come from this podcast or the FM website or, or in some cases from the, the, the letters that the listeners have, have sent in. And they've all really helped. And the first one I want to talk about is player traits. Now, there was a very good article on the byline on the Football Manager website last month that, that kind of reaffirmed what we've learned on the show, that, that player roles can be so crucial. But it, it also pointed out the importance of player traits. And this is definitely something that I've been guilty of neglecting in the past. Because, CJ, am I right in thinking if you've got a player with a trait, that trait will come out pretty much regardless of, of what you tell them? 
Yeah, it's something that keeps the players unique and doesn't make two central midfielders feel like the same type of player. Um, certain managers prefer some traits over other traits. I'd say it's always best to try and find players that have traits that match the type of tactics or football you'd like to play. So it, it does mean if, if you've got a player who it says on the screen he prefers to play simple balls, that if you pick him as a deep-lying playmaker with a brief of you know really um, really adventurous, risky, long 50-yard passes, th- there's going to be a, a kind of deleterious effect on, on that, isn't there? Yeah, and same way the opposite, if you have a defensive midfielder with like to play lots of killer through balls, then um, if you try and have him play in a simple game, you might not get as much of an effective outlet as you would if you had him playing more direct, longer passes in behind. And it's it's great this. I apologize for anyone who's listening who's like, duh, didn't you know that? <laughs> but I've never really I've I've sort of paid it attention on one level, but not not on a deeper level. And it, it works for negative things. So that if you've got a, a wide player attacking midfield left to and it says they like to cut in, then don't tell them to be an orthodox attacking winger with an instruction to get to the byline before they cross it. And if you're like me and you you want a sort of Lampard-like midfielder who pushes up to support attacks, then then you can get one who likes making late runs in the box and they'll be even better. Honestly, this is this has changed my world, CJ. Um, one of the best ones kind of touching on the Lampard late run in the box um, trait, it, it gets into opposition area. And it's not just central midfielders that it's good for. If you um, have a wide player that has the trait gets into opposition area, you will see more runs coming into the far post. Even with um, some fullbacks or wingbacks, they might be making late runs into the area too. So it can really change the type of attacks that you make in your team. Now, are there are there player trait combos that, that you can put players together to, to sort of fit with a plan? I'm thinking if you've got a midfielder who likes playing through balls and you've got a striker who likes lobbing the keeper, you know, there, there's ways you can you can bring that together and make that work, aren't there? Oh, there's definitely um, lots and lots of different types of combos. That's a great one you, you just suggested, one I touched on earlier with um, wingers that cut inside and fullbacks that overlap. They're another good one. Um, one of my favourite ones is strikers that have like to break off side trap and midfielders who've tried lots of killer through balls. Um, you'll see you'll just get lots of um opportunities being created. Obviously some will be offside and VAR makes it even more difficult, but it's it's a nice one that you see come to fruition on the pitch. And there's some bad ones as well. I was I was looking at it and my my Nottingham Forest team they do they press when they're out of position, when they lose position they don't they don't counter press they run back and get into uh, get into in, into their position and they um, they they kind of try and keep their shape. But if you've got a defender who likes hurling themselves into tackles, um, that's that's obviously not going to be conducive to your wider game plan. So it's it's looking for positives and, and looking for mm-hmm. negatives. Um, what what are some of the worst ones that you've seen? The ones that can really that because uh, this is another thing people don't always realise that you can train these things out of people as well. You can you can tell the coaches to get them to stop doing stuff. So what, what are some of the bad ones? Well, I wouldn't say any are necessarily bad, but some obviously won't fit your philosophy or the style of play you want to have. Um, obviously, the dives into tackles trait that's not usually ideal, but. For some players who like to play get stuck in and really play a really physical game, then it can be. And it's also, that doesn't mean that they 
perform more slide tackles or just fly into more high challenges. It's more that they're more aggressive trying to win the ball back. So it can work in a high pressing system as well, but you have to get the balance right. And the second one, one I try to avoid a lot, especially if I'm managing in the Premier League, is dwells on ball because it's just not what I want my midfielders doing. I, I want them to pop the ball quickly, move it quickly, rather than take five or six touches in midfield. Uh, just before we go any further, I should uh, point out, you might hear some rumbling in the background. Now, I am sat in my front room with a blanket on my head, but uh, believe it or not, the family upstairs are having a play date. They've invited people round. Um, so you might be getting a bit of noise there, and you might also have just found a reason why COVID's still a thing. But let's move on as best we can. Um, how easy is it to train player traits in and in and out? Well, it's something that more falls on the training side, but it's more um, matches the attributes. So if the player has the attributes to match the trait, then it would be quite easy for them to learn. If, if it's the opposite, then you usually get a message from your coach saying that they might struggle to learn the trait, which can still demand that they learn it, but it would take longer than if it was something that's easier for them to learn. Is it wise to sort of look at the player attributes to get a bearing on whether they'll be any good at something? So if you've got a player who you want to be good at beating the offside trap, you probably want what positioning, decisions, pace. Yeah, that kind high, of thing. high off the ball, high pace. Um, that's usually the case. High composure for places, shots, and just think, things like that. High technique for a lot of the um, technical sounding sounding traits but it's just a lot of it's common sense sometimes you do think that you have the better knowledge and you will go against your coach's advice but more than likely your coach will be in agreement with you on what you think is good I really can't stress how important this is this has been for me um, because it is something that I've I've looked at and just thought oh likes one twos well that's good that's the kind of football we play but I've never actually thought about it really very much deeper than that so it's well worth once you've got your team together just having a scan through seeing what you've got seeing where it fits in um, because as CJ says they do they follow those traits really really tightly you are you'll have no doubt by now listening to the football manager show by the athletic but what is the athletic you know when you get down to it well it's better that's what it is it's proper authoritative authentic football writing by experts. It's specialist reporters for every Premier League club, quite a few in the Football League too. Now look, you play football manager, you are demonstrably someone who has a considerable attention span and an eye for detail. You should have this in your life. But because you listen to this show, you can for half price. Pick up your phone now, hit your browser, type theathletic.com forward slash fmpod and you can sign up for £3.99 a month. It's a quid a week for six months and you can quit whenever you like. I don't think you will, though. That's theathletic.com forward slash FM pod. Back to business. I've got CJ Ransom from Sports Interactive on the line. We are talking about taking tactics even deeper and uh, looking at the three big reasons my Nottingham Forest team is doing so much better than my Sunderland team. The first one was actually paying proper attention to player traits. The second one is playing attention to interconnected positions. So at Sunderland, I was guilty of playing attacking fullbacks behind attacking wingers and then roaring in frustration when they didn't overlap. But of course they wouldn't because the wingers trying to get to the byline 
and fullbacks trying to get there. You've got them doing jobs that don't work together. If you switch that winger to a support role and make him inverted, he'll cut inside, your fullback can go outside him. But you don't want to do that on both sides at the same time because then you'll just get more congestion in the centre of the pitch. So you have one winger cutting in and one winger staying out. Then you've got a kind of blend of everything. But what you also need to look at is where the defensive cover is in the centre of midfield. So do you want the defensive cover where the winger's pushing all the way up to the byline or where he's cutting inside? You, you want it where he's pushing all the way up. So you have to look at your team and think not just what does that position do and who's the best person to play in it, but what does that role do to everything that's that's around it? Now, CJ, you and Nick spoke about this earlier in the series, and um, it really makes sense the more you think about it. It's it's kind of like baking a cake. It's mm. not enough just to have loads of nice ingredients. You know, need to know how they complement each other and when they go in the oven. No, yeah, that's a really good way of putting it, actually. Um, I really like how you broke down the fullbacks and the wingers. That's a... That's a good way to just approach it, to have a good idea of how the balance works out. Now, how can you, when you're watching your highlights, how best can you use the game to find where, where your problem areas are and where your gaps are? Well, one of the most important things is what kind of highlight mode you watch your game on. Like Nick touched on before, if you watch extended or comprehensive highlights, you can see more of not only what goals are being scored, but what goals are not being scored or what chances your team are missing. So it shows you more of the incidences which show what isn't working rather than what is working. So that's some, that's one thing. And a second thing is the post-match stats. So if you just take a brief look through some of the um, statistics, you can see, are you a team that creates a lot of chances and doesn't convert? Or are you a team that struggled to create chances or where your chances are created for? There's a lot of um, statistics for you to delve into. Now, when you're struggling, you, you need like a safe haven, a, a place of least harm. Let's go through and let's try and establish what, what's a good, simple formation for when you're just trying to stabilise, whether you've taken over at a struggling club or or you've you've been doing all right, but now it's starting to fall apart. Um, we'll start with the goalkeeper. I think it's a pretty easy one. It's probably best to have the goalkeeper as just a standard defensive goalkeeper, isn't it? If you're just trying to keep it simple. Yeah, if you want to keep it simple, you can't go wrong with that. Um, you can go on the player instructions as well. And this will only really work if you're playing any kind of possession game. Um, but having the goalkeeper roll the ball out to the centre-backs or the full-backs, it's very unlikely you're going to lose possession um, straight away. Though equally, if you're playing route one and you've got a big target man, you want to set them to, to long kicks. There's only so much you can do with that. But with the back four, again, we're just looking for something that's just going to keep it, keep it stable. Position of least harm. How would you set up your back four, CJ? I, I like to go wing backs over full backs and I mean I mean in the actual full back, left back and right back positions, just because they offer a bit more going forwards, but um you can also have them on wing back support instead of wing back attack so they're not completely committing um and trying to hit the opposition area and they're kinda of giving you a bit more balance. And in terms of the central defenders, um I'm happy to go with two central defenders if I have a player that can play, or if I'm playing play out of defence, I'll always go over ball playing defender. But if not, or say for instance, where I'm playing at League Two level now, I'm using central defenders because none of my players are technical enough to be ball playing defenders. Whereas if I was at a higher level, I'd probably go with two ball playing defenders. 
Now, I always have a thing from having played football at school from you know the eighties. The mm-hmm. um, when you're part of a back four, you stay in line with each other, and you get shouted at if you don't. You move as a group, and whenever I see the option to have one centre centre back as a stopper and one as a cover, it always sends my blood to ice because you think, "Oh, could you get killed for that?" Um, is, is that fair, or am I just holding on too tight to the memories of the past? Well, again, it depends what the skill set of your players are. Um, if you're playing a three at the back, I would always suggest have at least one as a cover. I think the defaults for the five at the back formations have the central defender in cover, just so he can play a little bit more of a sweeper type role. And um, what I've also seen some people do is play with the two outside defenders as stoppers. So they step forward and then the middle defender drops back as a cover. And um, lastly, what I've also seen people do is when they're playing a flat four with two centre-backs, one's a stopper and one's a cover, which kind of reminds me of Vidic and Rio in old Man United teams where one's kind of the front foot defender and then you've got the more pacey defender that kind of does the sweeper role. So there's different ones and as long as you've got the players with the skill sets to match what you're asking for, they should all work. So in this scenario where we, we need to stabilise quickly, would you say a back five is I mean, largely dependent on your players, but a back five offers that security and the, the, the wing backs offer the support? Yeah, as long as, long as you have um, the players to, to play the roles, that's probably my go-to. And I'd say in modern football at the moment, it's, it's a lot of teams go to all across the football leagues as well, not just in the Premier League. Well, it's definitely it's Steve Bruce at Newcastle does it every time they lose a few games, doesn't he? Then, yeah, it's, like it's always, <laughs> a revert, always a revert back to a five at the back. All right, so looking further forward then, let's let's talk about the midfield three, or is it a midfield three? Um, how, how would you build that? Well, the, the central of the three, for me personally, I'd like to have that as my defensive player. So he's kind of got the license of the two either side of him to either be attacking or be more supporting. Um, ball winning midfielders, you can't really go wrong with that. But one thing to um, keep in mind if you're playing a ball winning midfielder is how high the aggression attribute in their mentality. Because a uh, ball winning midfielder with high aggression can sometimes be a recipe for disaster. I cannot cannot agree with that anymore. I had Scott Brown at Celtic a few years ago, ball-winning midfielder, defensive, and I had a set to get stuck in. And he had an aggression of, I think, 18 or 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he had thrown himself into tackles as well. He got sent off three times in four games. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm sick of red cards. I don't I don't like my players getting sent off. So um, sometimes I'll have them on central midfielder defend. That's also another one uh, role that's often underused. But if you want to have it that they do a similar role, but maybe slightly less aggressive or hold their position a bit tighter rather than chasing the ball. Um, central midfield defend is a nice version as well. Have you got like a favourite centre midfield role? I think everyone's got the one that regardless of how they're putting their team together, they're definitely, I mean, for me, I always have a deep line playmaker somewhere. Nice. Mine is the Mazzala role. I, I just love it. I'm playing in League Two right now and I have a Mazzala in my midfield. Um, they will always find a way into the team somehow. And Earlier, we touched on roles that combine well together. Um, that's another one, the Mazala and the inside forward. You see it a lot in real life as well with teams that play with three central midfielders. So the Mazala, they're 
it's a central midfielder that plays in the half space between the wing and the middle of the field and they kind of cut in from wide areas. You see De Bruyne do it a lot in real life from the right side. Um, Pogba, not as much anymore, but especially in his Juventus days from the left side. And um, it just works really well in game and you can combine it with either a wing back that's overlapping or an inside forward that's cutting inside and get some really nice combination play. Strikers then, we're looking at two strikers in this in this formation. Safety first. We want them to complement each other. Is it as simple as a deep line forward and an advanced forward? It can be if you have the if you have the right players for it. If you had Henry and Burkamp, I'd say it could be that simple. But if you had say two target <laughs> men type strikers, it's probably not as easy. It, the balance of the two forwards, in my opinion, can be the hardest balance to get because obviously you want a goal output as well as good performance. But um, for me, it's just about finding what suits your players' attributes best. Now, one of the ones that often gets overlooked is pressing forward, isn't it? It doesn't sound very glamorous, um, but that's basically Marcus Bent for Everton in 2004, <laughs> 2005, isn't it? You just want someone who's just going to clatter away on their own, utterly thankless task for 89 minutes. It's actually one of my favourite roles, pressing forward. Yeah, I really like how it plays. Um, and because I'm always playing a high pressing system as well, they um they fit in really well with that. It's not too dissimilar to the advanced forward. You just want a higher output. So maybe the older strikers that don't have as strong physical stats, it might not be for them. But if you've got kind of a younger player or an all-rounder, then um, it can be super useful. And also another thing that a lot of people overlook with the pressing forward, pressing forward defend will actually drop back and join in the midfield and help with the defending. So if you're hanging on to a late lead or you're just going into a match where you know you're going to be on the back foot, pressing forward defend is it's a great role to use. I almost always switch one of my attackers to pressing forward defend if I'm trying to protect the lead. That is interesting because that's one thing I've struggled on in that I've got my one formation that's very, very good. And I've struggled to find a sort of secondary defensive formation that doesn't take away all the reasons that we're good. Um, but if there are ways of just doing it like that and just changing the advance forward to a pressing forward defend. Interesting. I'll be loading up my save game as soon as we're done. And um, just finally, before we, we move on, what are some of the most obvious mistakes that, that you often see? Because when people say, oh, your game's rubbish, I lose all the time, here's my tactics. Um, what, what do you often see there? Um, I'll say one that I see from the start and the one that I see in game. From the start, it would be um, two attacking formations, so over the attacking. So you've got an attacking mentality, nearly all your roles are attacking, attacking roles, and that's just not balanced and it, it just doesn't work like that. Even the most um, attacking teams in real life, they still have a defensive midfielder in the team that's clearly on the defensive mentality to hold the position. So it's more about finding the balance and, like you said, the right ingredients for the cake rather than just throwing everything on top and hoping it works. And the second point would be when you're holding on to a lead late in the game, either changing your mentality from attacking or control down to something more cautious and seeing out the victory that way, or um, changing, like I said, with the pressing forward, changing the actual roles and making the attack role support or making the support role defend. It can have a really big difference in seeing out a victory. All right. Uh, coming up next on the show, we'll pick up the final third of the Holy Trinity. But before that, listen to this. 
Hello there, this is Adam Hurry, host of Football Clichés on The Athletic. It's the podcast that explores the glorious and unique language of football. The words, the phrases, the mannerisms, and above all, the clichés. To me, for me, Clive basically means I have this opinion which I'm not entirely sure about, but I'd like to qualify that it is my opinion and then I'm putting it to you. That's essentially all those I three... I think it's not for me, Clive, isn't it? Is it more, more not more of a negative be, no, thing? Maybe, I th- maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I think it's a uh, not for me, Clive. Fancy a cup of tea, not for me, Clive. Not for me, Clive. You can listen to Football Clichés for free wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, ad-free on the app when you subscribe to The Athletic. Welcome back. So, the third thing that is making my Football Manager game a far happier experience is set pieces. Set pieces, set pieces, set pieces. I'm usually really strong on these anyway, but I found that you can take it to a new level and it just pays huge dividends just by linking everything up. So a brilliant set piece taker, that's pretty obvious. If you've got someone 15, 16 for corners, they're going to be a lot better repeated training sessions even if you are someone who leaves the training to the coaches just insert them in there somewhere because I think I'm right in in saying they don't really expend too much in the way of energy so the night before you play someone just throw in an extra training session for attacking set pieces Um, and then both of those things linked up just with a really well thought out plan Um, again it's all simple And we've been over some of this stuff before, but just linking it together. So think about height, thinking about uh, jumping ability. Watch to see your opponents, either watch them before you play them or watch them during the game. Like if you suddenly notice that they've got five foot four fullbacks on their near post, rip up everything, start doing near post corners, um, get them in at the big man, adapt. I have won so many games at Forest that I didn't deserve to win just through Luke Freeman doing corners that I change up about every two weeks according to who I'm playing and and who I've got at my disposal. CJ, I was appalled last time when you came on (laughs) and you told me that some people just don't change their set pieces at all. Um, But there's so much to be gained. It's, It's so, so important. We kind of touched on it before where we said it can make the difference between a draw and a win. And you see the same in real life where teams... Um, they've kind of seen the value of the set pieces. Um, what I like about the set pieces in game is there's no one way to do them. You can always make it work to what suits your team. So if you have if you have three centre backs and they're all dominant in the air, then maybe you might be successful with near post corners. But if you're more of a Barcelona type team, you might have to rely on your short corners and come up with a short corner routine. So uh, it's about finding the balance that works for your team as well as having something that. Could, um, gets worked on in training I found one one nice little thing that, that will work in anyone's game is, I mean I tend to go sort of near post or far post corners but tell someone to come short someone useless so we've got Jack Colback, which sounds like I'm being really mean. He's a perfectly decent <laughs> deep line playmaker, but he's only five foot nine. So he's not much use to me if I'm crashing it into the near post looking for my, my centre backs. But if you tell him to come short and be an option, it will drag one of their defenders and it may well be one of the tall ones. So all of a sudden you're tossing the ball into a slightly less congested box. And 10, 15, 20 times, it might not make a difference. But if that 21st time that you swing the ball into a slightly less congested box is the 89th minute of a nil-nil, 
you're going to thank me and it will take you just one click. Um, CJ, have, have you got any just little, little nice bite-sized solutions? Um, like you said as well, um, where the players go and choosing the right players to be in the right position. So make sure the person with the best long shots is the one on the edge of the box and they're not in the area trying to head the ball. Make sure that you've got your quick players back on the halfway line instead of your slow defenders. And um, as much as it's important to prep to score the corner, you also want to prep for the counter corner and make sure you have the right players in position to defend the counter attack as well. Absolutely. I tend to have my fullbacks who, because of the way I play, they're usually quite quick. I have the fullbacks sat on the halfway line just in case so they can cover any kind of clearance. Um, and just to link up everything we've said today, if you do take that option of having someone who's good at long shots to lurk on the edge of the box for when the ball comes out, if if their player trait is tries long shots, it's going to be even better. It's everywhere you look, you can find tiny, tiny little multipliers. And everyone knows on Football Manager when it, it's going well and then all of a sudden it isn't. And it's it's always it's just one result that knocks everything over and sends you into a slide. So like, why wouldn't you do all these little things? And, and one more thing that I found, um, defensive corners, every bit as important as attacking corners. Even if you're not going to sit there and... Um, measure up where everybody is and have them in exactly the right place which to be honest even I don't do you can do little things like have the playmaker your playmaker on the edge of the box so if the ball drops to him you've got the best possible person for a creative ball out and you've got either your right winger or your left winger whoever's got the most pace sat on the halfway line so that straight away when the ball drops down you've got the most creative player bang ball out to the quick player and suddenly you're on the break instead of on the back foot um cj thank you so much for being here today i've really appreciated it oh no my pleasure any any last tips on tactics that, that you you can hand out um i'd say always go with tactics that you enjoy seeing yourself and you think will work for the personnel you have there's no point in trying to create a tiki taka tactic if you don't have the players for it or it's not even the football you want to play and you're just creating the tactic to try and win or you heard it's a successful tactic I personally think the best way to approach it would be finding tactics that work best for your team and you enjoy seeing your team play and then go from there. That's brilliant. Thanks so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Okay, I just wanted to thank all of you for your, your reviews and recommendations. You guys really came through. Um, review section looks amazing. Thank you so much for that. Um, if you haven't already and, and you would like to, you know, just give us a click, give us a rating, subscribe, leave a review. It really does make a massive, massive difference. And thank you so much for, for all of your efforts so far. Just absolutely amazing. Um, thank you as well for your letters. We've had loads and loads and loads of letters. A letter from Charles Jones. He says, I've been playing the game a lot lately. And one thing that's caught my eye is something in the Premier League rules that says a player can get a 12-match ban for striking a match official. What I want to know is, is that possible? And what other rare things can happen in a game that some people might never have seen? I had a player miss a match after being seen outside a nightclub last week. He was promptly sold to Aston Villa. 
I think that's punishment enough, Charles. We spoke to Sports Interactive and they said it's not possible for a player to hit a ref in Football Manager because of legal and licensing reasons, although we do include the full competition rules in the game, which is why that rule is in there. There are some events that can only happen with new-gen players, like having them stumble out of nightclubs. These can only happen with new-gen players, again, because they're exempt from legal and licensing obligations. So there you go. I do recall on one of the older versions, someone getting banned for 120 days for striking a referee, but that was a very, very long time ago. Robin Cooper uh, has been in touch. He says, I've not played the PC version of Football Manager since 2011. Being a fairly new dad, really don't think jumping back on full fat FM is a good idea due to my lack of free time. I tell you what, that's that's the rosas for the people upstairs, that is. Um, however, after getting a Nintendo Switch off my wife for Christmas, I've given FM Touch a go. Massive step up from the phone version, but I am getting a bit lost at times. Can you do an episode? Um, Robin, yes, yes, we'll do that next week. We'll do an episode on FM Touch and FM Mobile, so keep your eyes out for that. Nick Carter, my favourite role is central midfield support, he says, a man after my own heart. It's hard to find a good one in the transfer market because when you search on roles, everyone gets classified as an Itzala or an advanced playmaker or a roaming playmaker. Only about 0.1% of all midfielders get given the bog standard central midfield role. Why? Everyone loves a central midfield support. Why does the game want to hide them from us? Well, we asked and they said... Most midfielders will be able to play the central midfield role to a good level, but many will have attributes that make them better suited to other roles. For example, a midfielder with good dribbling ability may have a natural role of Metzala, but he could still perform the central midfield role just as well. The key attributes for the central midfield role are predominantly on the mental side. Anticipation, decisions, teamwork, vision, work rate. They also need to be a decent passer with a good first touch and have some stamina in the tank to cover the midfield areas. Your best bet to find players that have decent scores in these areas is to send scouts to look at players in action until they've got full knowledge of them. From there, you should be able to make a decision on how well they can play that central midfield support role and how they'd fit into your team as a whole. In other words, when you scout them, scout them for four games or three weeks or whatever, but get more than one single scout report. That is... Well, we've got time for on the letters. Um, we've still got more for next week and we're still very, very eager to hear from you. Even if you're not asking a question, just let us know how you're getting on. The email address is imacintosh at theathletic.com. Time enough for book club. Uh, Justin Cox has written in, says, top recommendation from me would be The Quality of Madness, The Life of Marcello Bielsa. It's practically the story of his life but it goes quite deep into his rise and, and honestly, why his teams never win anything. Um, it certainly didn't beat Crawley the day before this was recorded. Uh, that book is written by Tim Rich, who used to work for the Daily Telegraph and uh, a thoroughly nice man um, and does loads of stuff for the Football Writers Association as well. So it's good to see his name pop up again. At last time I checked, it was £4.99 online. I'm actually going to buy it and have a read because I didn't even know this book was out. And we'll be back to talk about that uh, in a future episode. Uh, drop me a line with your recommendations. I'm Macintosh at theathletic.com. And that on a jam-packed show is just about all we've got time for. 
Um, we will be back next week. It will be the touch and the mobile version next week. Uh, this has been the Football Manager Show by The Athletic. I've been talking to CJ Ransom. Your producer has been Cornelius Mendes. We'll see you soon. Hold up. 